Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 243. This episode is with the head of Academy Sports Science at Leighton Orient, Robert Rangel. Robert came on, we discussed some of the biggest lessons that he wants to pass on to newly qualified coaches. So what I would say at this point of the podcast, if you're listening right now and you've got interns or you've got anyone that you know that is going through qualifications, whether that's university or courses, send this episode out to them because we do discuss some of the key takeaways from Robert's time going through his qualifications and early work experiences. So I definitely would recommend sending this episode out. We also talk about the, some of the realities of football, some of the things that you don't necessarily expect when you are going through your qualifications that become a reality once you get into the role. We talk about periodizing his career and what thoughts he's had on that, how he approaches it, what his eventual goal is as well, which I know a lot of people don't have in place. So that's a really important aspect of the podcast to try and listen to and also try and think about how you can apply that to your own career as well. We talk about some of the biggest successes so far, which is a bit of a hard one. He's only been in the role since February. We record this in June, so he's not had too many months. And obviously at the time of recording, it's the off season. So it was a tough one, but he did go through some of the early things that they put in place. And then we also touched on around developing player buy-in as well. So plenty to take away from this episode. Now, the next of our networking events is on Tuesday, the 4th of July, 6 till 9pm, down in Reading at Go Perform. We've got two speakers on the evening, lead physical performance coach for Arsenal Women, Pordy Roche, is presenting alongside Reading FC's Academy Sports Scientist, Will Haler. Tickets are still available for this event. So if you want to come and join us at the event, go to footballfitfed.com and then click the shop and then networking events and you'll be able to purchase your tickets there. I've just said before about sharing the podcast as well, but also please head over and leave us a review. We've been stuck on 90 on the reviews over on Apple Podcasts for a while. So if you could help us push towards that 100 mark, that would really help us out. And then also over on Spotify, if you listen on Spotify, just click the five stars. So as you're listening, you can go to the top of the podcast Click the five stars. It really does help. We've got 83 now over on Spotify, which is really helpful. I want to try and drive that over the 100. So if you could help on that, I really would appreciate it. Just before we get into the podcast, the podcast doesn't run without our sponsors. We've got some amazing companies that we've been able to partner with. The first of which is The Good Prep. I've literally just had one of their meals just before we recorded the episode. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their, client include, their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth teams, Gymshark, and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a huge thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? 
For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximise athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. And I took the shorts actually away on our recent family holiday and did some um, gym sesh, pre-beach, pre-pool gym sessions. Um, and they, they are absolutely top quality. You don't, you're not relying on too much external loads if you're stuck in a hotel gym. Obviously, I'm talking for like a coach perspective now, um, but there's so many benefits for you, your players using them as well. I know a lot of clubs are now investing in Hytro and getting the shorts for recovery for the players. So make sure you go and check them out. Just one more thing on Hytro as well. Warren Bradley, the founder of Hytro, is actually going to be coming back onto the podcast, probably the episode after this one, to discuss some of the updates um, that's been going on at Hytro. So I'm really excited for that one and keep an eye out for it. And last but certainly by no means least, a big, big thank you to Rezzle. Make sure you go and check out all the work that they are doing in the world of VR. And let's get into episode two for free with Robert Rangel. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 243. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Head of Academy Sports Science at Leighton Orient, Robert Rangel. Robert, how are we? Yeah, all good, thanks, Ben. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, mate. No, thank you for freeing up some time. I know as we record this, we're off-season, so you've just been mentioning that no, it doesn't reduce the workload so much, does it? It just changes what you're doing. Yeah, that's it. It's just... You become more of an office man than practical man, unfortunately. So you just do a load, load of admin. But in a way, you, you catch up on a lot that you've missed during the season to being on the grass pretty much every day and not have, only having an hour a day to do admin. Now you're just in reverse. You have a lot more time for admin than you are on grass, I guess. I'm sure a lot of people relate to that as well, that are listening. Um, Robert, take us through a bit of background first. We always like to start it in the same way. So give us a bit of background on yourself. Cool. So, um, yeah, originally I started sort of well, when I looked out to start in my career in sports science, it was actually through sports therapy. So I started at the University of Hertfordshire. So that was a three year degree with a placement and sandwich year as well. Um, and it was it appealed to me because it was local to within 45 minutes to an hour. Not that that changed my opinion on where I should stay. I stayed at uni. Um and yeah, it was a, it was a team of excellent lecturers that I still keep in contact with now, post degree. So they're really good and really good uh, contacts to have, and really good to talk to for advice and career advice as well. And there was also good modules that I like the look of, including strength and conditioning and final year. Um, so during that degree, 
I completed a sandwich year. So, so I did two years study, then went into my third year. And my third year was on sandwich placement year with Leighton Orient. Um, so I was an academy sports therapist as well as a sports scientist as well. Uh, pretty much working with the sports science department a lot of a lot of the time. The academy sports scientist Mike Mullane at the time, um, just doing a lot of rehab with him and overseeing that side. Also with a little bit of first team doing some soft tissue work. It was a really good year. Um, got some really good exposure throughout that season. Obviously they went up from national league to EF back into the EFL that year as well. So got to sort of witness and get exposure to a promotion as well. Um, and it was really good. Also, during that year, I set up I set up an Instagram um, and my business, which was basically muscle movement. I, cre- I created this name out of sort of nowhere. Originally, I was looking at psychology and thought, oh, it could be my muscle movement. But I thought, no, I'll stick to muscle movement and hone in on that. So I created this page, if you like. I was going to just use it as a blog to document my what I'd learned across the course of the placement. Um and then it sort of turned into family friends wanting sports massage throughout, which I was obviously qualified for during my degree. So I thought, oh, I use it as mobile massage whilst as a little side hustle whilst I carried on working on placement. Um, as I say, like found placement a really good learning experience, and it made me realise that I liked the S and C side because it was a lot more practical, and you had to sort of think on your toes a little bit more, which I think was suited more towards me. Um, so then during like the back end of my degree. So I finished I finished my placement, went back to uni to finish my final year and Orient gave me a part-time job, which was fantastic. So I managed to get some exposure to more sports therapy work on the side to coming back for weekends to work whilst continuing to study and finish my degree. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I finished that essentially and then I wanted to, during my final year, once we'd done the S&C module uh, at uni, I found that really I wanted to get into that realm, the S&C side of things. Um, I think it was an extra string to my bow that I could offer within my, my own business and also sort of made me a bit more rounded and more employable in the fact that I had sports therapy and S&C. Um, so I applied for a master's at St. Mary's Twickenham um, for strength and conditioning. And that appealed to me because I had a great cohort of, staff there so you've got Dan Clever, Stephen Patterson, uh, Matt Springham all there and it was a great cohort staff and the fact that it was a two-year distance learning so I could work on the side or gain other experiences on the side whilst doing it. Um, So during my first year of that Masters I got uh, the opportunity to have like a year-long part-time internship with Performance Hearts at um, University of Hertfordshire and that was under Fiona Scott. Um, that was working with different athletes in over 27 sports, uh, a lot of exposure to different sports, which, again, instead of well, coming out of football slightly, I was working with footballers, rowers, judo, you name it, like they did it. So it was it was good exposure to essentially looking at how other athletes trained other than footballers. And I got a really good gym-based knowledge from that because a lot of the time we were just spent on the gym floor for two, three hours and three times a week in the evening to... It was really good working with athletes at different ages, different genders as well, which again, it's got got some insight as to how females train versus males and what the sort of uh, differences are there as well. Um, so then after that, I finished my internship there and then uh, coming into my second year of my master's, uh, I wanted to then get in back into the football realm and the 
and the full-time football environment. So I was lucky enough to be offered a placement opportunity at West Ham United. Um, so there I was specifically working as like a physical development coach for the under-23s and I assisted a great practitioner in uh, Ben Mayle. Um, got loads of experience and although I'd got all the experience from performance art sort of in the gym side of things, I then went to West Ham. It was a lot more exposure to field base, which I hadn't really touched on as such, only bits during my Masters. So it was sort of thrown in the deep end slightly with that side of things. But I did really, really enjoyed that. And I, I learned so much just from the field base measures uh, and then continued to grow what I already knew in terms of the gym base. Um, so yeah, I, that's where... I started to get the bug for S&C a lot more, um, knowing that it was my second year in my Masters working in full-time football in Cap 1 environment. I then took on, whilst continuing my Masters and at West Ham, took on a, a job at Billericay Town in the National League South. So I was their head of academy medical originally, and then they found out I was doing S&C, and they're like, oh, we want you as performance. Um, so I was a little bit of both, to be honest. So they, that was carnage, that like you're going in on Saturdays, and you're doing strapping massage like pre-match stuff and then you're having to go out set up the warm-up come back in finish off some strapping then go back out and take the warm-up um so that was just carnage and i i managed to get some good interns in as well and they were really helpful and they i, I like to think they'd learned a lot and a lot of them have now even finished degree degrees or carried on working there and got jobs out of it so i'd like to think that that went quite well for them as well as it did for me um so yeah it's a all whilst continuing my own stuff. So at one point throughout my career, my second year of my master's, I was doing my second year master's, finishing off my dissertation, uh, working at Billericay Town and then part-time, working at West Ham United full-time and and trying to run my own business. So I probably <laughs> wouldn't advise that. It was a little bit of burnout, to be quite honest, but I'm pleased I did it and I got exposure to loads of different athletes, loads of different sort of times, zones and times and and timings and different um, industries as well, I suppose, in sports therapy and ethnically and how a day run. Um, so, yeah, so I essentially finished my master's and started looking for and, and finished my part, um, placement at West Ham and then also finished at Billericay and then started looking for more sort of full-time roles within football. And then eventually after a part-time role with Arsenal Ladies as a sports therapist and uh a strength and conditioning coach within their academy. I was fortunate enough to receive the role at Leighton Orient Football Club so as a head of academy sports science. So that's where I solely now work with the under-18s on a day-to-day basis and then oversee the under-9s, under-16s in the evening. So just trying to bridge that gap between their development going into full-time football. Brilliant, mate. I wanted to just pick up on one thing, Robert, and that was um, when you mentioned about going to West Ham. So I think this will be really interesting for coaches you said obviously being used to like the gym environment and then when you went to the club getting a bit of exposure onto the pitch what was like the biggest area that you felt like you needed to work on when you're out on the pitch compared to being in the gym I think understanding like the physiological side um so that was like and sort of the demands of what they needed per day and it was like what an actual week looked like um, I think I, I, at the start, I really struggled as to what like their their like training session looked like, let alone what our conditioning session would look like on top in terms of top-up runs. And then off of that, basing it off of, of a theme for the warm-up. So if it's an intensive day, 
what we're we doing in the warm up to make that intensive or what we're we doing in prep to make that intensive, even though prep was kind of gym based, like how could we make that as specific as we can to set a theme for the day? And again, I'd never really got exposure to that um, prior to West Ham. And I think that opened up the eyes of full-time football for me and how everything was done, set the stone properly. Um, because I think, as I say, like I had no exposure to that before. And for me, I thought, being naive I was like oh they just turn up and train there's no structure to the week but there is a massive structure to the week in terms of what days are intensive what days are extensive how we all just solely rely and, and support around the game day um, so yeah that that's what I think the biggest exposure was and learning experience as such in terms of field-based messages and then on top of that it was more understanding and the physiology behind why we're doing extensive based practices once every seven to ten days etc You've obviously taken a lot of opportunities that have come up. And I know you referenced before about yeah. holding a lot of jobs at one time, which personally I don't think is a bad thing, especially when when you're younger and you're trying to gain gain experience. Well, what would be your advice? When, so when coaches are coming through now, there might be practitioners listening that are coming through university or wherever they're at with their career. What do you think some of the main things for you are that sort of stood out where you're like, no, I want to pass that on to people that are coming through now? Um, so I'd, I'd just say like, I, I have, so I am young, so I'm, I'm still 26. So I suppose as an S&C, so in this industry, I'd like to consider myself still fairly young, but I, I took a lot of opportunities where I could because I never knew if I was going to get an opportunity like that again. Um, one. Two, even if it was for a week, a day, half a day, I think it's good just to have and you, you can learn so much in that half a day, a day, a week uh, anyway. And especially if they're, I think you've just got to be proactive. I understand that our industry is, is, is not great paid, to be quite honest. Um, I think in terms of the amount of work we do, it's unsociable. But I think in the long run, if you like it and you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. So for me, that that's me currently. Um, I love what I do, I think you only understand if you like what you do and you're only going to know if you just take them opportunities. So I think if you take an opportunity, it's unpaid. Like I've been two, three times now. I think as long as you're proactive, you ask lots of questions. So you're learning on the job. If you're proactive, you never know what's going to come out of it at the end. Um, so they could like, for instance, I've gone full circle with Leighton Orient. I started out as a placement there in my, during my undergrad. And now I've finished my master's and I've now got a job there. So it's gone full circle in that sense. And I think, as long as you take your um, your opportunities and you're proactive, um, you ask lots of questions, make notes as well. That's the biggest thing I didn't do, I think, on my first placement. I didn't make enough notes. Um, so I couldn't reflect on each day or each week. I think the more the more practitioners or young practitioners try and make notes, then they can go back on the notes and go, okay. And then they might have a question from on that note as well. Um, and that, that opens up more learning opportunities as well for them. The other side of it, when you are in football full-time, what have been some of the realities where you were like, I didn't really realise this was this was a thing or it's caught you off guard? Is there anything that sort of stands out? To know? <laughs> a hell of a lot of people have this idea of working in football and what it's like on a day-to-day -day basis and it can be pretty different. Yeah. Um, I think it's very last minute. It, it can be last minute. But at the minute, like... Uh... Orient, we've done it really well. We've got a whole new MDT within the academy for the PDP section, essentially. So we've got new analysts coming in, but we've had two new coaches, uh, myself, uh, 
Mikey the physio hasn't been there particularly long. I think it's been there five, six months now. Um, so it's a fairly new MDT. So we've tried to structure it in the sense that we try and work off a two-week plan each week. So you work in two weeks in advance. So you roughly know what days are what and you can plan ahead. Again, all subject to change and it does change. So I think the biggest thing that has caught me off guard is the fact that it is lastminute.com. Um, so therefore you have to adapt as a practitioner. You have to adapt to situations. You might plan for 10 in a session for a warm up. So you've got your warm up set and in terms of what you want to do, especially coaches, it's a nice, I don't know how they do it. They plan for X amount in a session and then they find out they're getting double the amount. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, so <laughs> it turns an intensive area to being small, small area per person to very small per person or medium. And it's like, oh, because um, people like 13 take people or a couple are on loan, a couple will. So, I think that's one thing that caught me off guard, um, especially in this, when going back into the full-time environment after being out, for it, out of it for a little bit. Um, unsociable hours, I kind of expected that, but I didn't realise sometimes how unsocial they can be in terms of you working late evenings, you've got FAU cut, you working late evenings, you're back in the next morning. Um, and again, as I say, because it's last minute, sometimes it can be quite stressful in terms of having to adapt. But I think if your personality suits and you're used to that in your normal workplace or you've got a bit of exposure to that prior I think that shouldn't come across as a bit as a problem really Was that that sort of um, last minute change that can happen within the programming now do you plan for different circumstances or do you just feel like you have to adapt on the fly so if you're setting out a session and it is numbers for example and you, you're planning for 10 have you also got a plan B and C and D for just in case numbers change? Or do you feel like that's just been something that's been developed over time where you're like, I just know now that the changes that I need to be that need to be made? Um, so I feel like I I if I spend too much time planning, I don't I don't think about the actual delivery of the session. So I do plan to say I've got 10 players, I'll plan as though I've got 15. Yeah. Um, because then I know I can work whatever I'm doing with 15 I can work with 10 it's fine um, I'd rather sort of over plan and overestimate it than underestimate because if there's a game where I've got say 2v2 or 4v4 or 5v5 for instance it's pretty impossible to do with an odd number so I'm like right I'll plan for this amount and if there is an odd number I'll use that as a spare or extra um, so yeah I, I, I try not to overthink the planning and sometimes it can be a little bit again because it depends on the day and and what the theme for the day is and how much planning you have in advance. But sometimes it's like a little bit last minute in terms of, right, I need to change this around quickly and what numbers we've got, someone's dropped out, etc. Um, But I think, no, I think, as I say, I try and focus on my delivery a little bit more because I think that's one thing that I try and make as good as I can is delivery. And then if there's something that changes around that, as long as my delivery is the same, it should go well. Yeah, definitely. Just back on to your career, Robert, something that we've spoke about on our community recently is like periodization and Josh Fletcher's done a lot of great work around this. Is this something that you've considered in your career? Like in terms of the roles that come up, we're not in control of those really, are we, and what times and stuff, but how much consideration have you made to when a role comes up, you go for interview, you get offered it, is that have to? Does that have to fit into a plan that you you've already planned out, or is it a case of I'll take opportunities and then I'll sort of see where I can go with things? I think now, like experiencing, so I've experienced football from a cat one to cat three 
in cut one, cut three environments. So I think for me, I've got exposure to all three of them. I think now it's it's more, I think long-term goal, I think if you set yourself a long-term goal, it's then working back from that. So say, for instance, my long-term goal, because I believe it's the pinnacle of football, is national team, whether that's academy, first team. But to be quite honest, this role's opened up my eyes in terms of how much I actually enjoy the academy work. Um, I, I like developing younger athletes. It's what I do privately. It's what I do to work on a day-to-day basis. To, for me, I, I think I would stay in academy. Um, I think going on your question in terms of is it something that I plan for, I think it's just looking at opportunities. If there's if there's something that just fits right and it, it's an opportunity at the end of the day that's a little bit better or not even if it's better, it's just the fact that it's, it depends on your working relationships as well. I have a really good relate, working relationship with all the staff at, at work at the minute. So I think I think that's what makes it a good workplace environment. If you didn't have a good workplace environment with your colleagues, I don't think you'd want to be there, um, even if you are doing what you love. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to the people. And again, you can't control that. You don't know who's there, who's not there. Um, I also think if it's realistic and if it's like close to home, because at the end of the day, you don't want to be... I, I know football's a it's a small world and you can't go from some, lots of people I know that move and go from south to north, north to south. But I think if you do that for a job you're and you've got a family to look after, I think it's quite hard. And you look at players and they do that all the time, right? But as staff, I think as long as it's reasonable enough journey time, as long as you're still learning on the job, because I think that's important for career development, as long as I'm still learning, as long as I'm getting exposure and I'm managing to ask questions and getting asked questions, I think that's important for me in terms of my career periodizing and becoming better practitioner and getting to that end goal. So five, six year goal of being academy sort of national team. And that's the goal for me. Yeah. I think that's an area that a lot of people don't do though. Like you've just said about your long term goal and mm. obviously how you get there. There's a lot of factors, isn't there? Like you're not in complete control of that yeah. all the time with the opportunities that come up, but you're right that once you've got that goal that you're working towards, you can question then and you can try and make things fit, fit into that um, into that journey, can't you, up, on, up to yeah, the goal? Yeah, that's it, yeah. And I think that's, really, that's a really important thing because a lot of people's goal will be first team, to work at first team. And it's like, well, why? If you've got a genuine reason behind that, that's fine. That's yeah, not that's a problem. It, yeah. And you've just mentioned that. You wanted to work, your end goal was to work national team academy players, but it ties in with what you enjoy and probably what you feel like you're good at as well in terms of developing yeah, players. It. Yeah, that's it. I, I just feel like, for me, with my lifestyle, in terms of what I have going on outside of work, whether it's my private work, whether it's whether it's like seeing my friends, whether it's also like playing golf, which is my sport, which takes up four hours, five hours of the day. For me, I want something that's going to fit in all around that because I need a work-life balance. At one stage, as I mentioned earlier, at one stage when I was doing four four things at a time. I didn't have that work-life balance. It was just work, 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 study, work, 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 study. Um, so I've, now I've done that. And I think some sometimes you might have to do that. You might have to sort of experience that. I don't want to do this again to know what what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. And for me, I know that that, that to me is what I want. I want a nice work-life balance. And I think doing the academy has that nice work-life balance but at the same time I love it because I'm seeing kids come from under nine all the way up through to under 18 and get into a full-time environment going from part-time 
fundamental movement pattern gains once a week to train in the gym four times a week. So there's a real, <clears throat> there's a real like balance there in trying to bridge the gap for academy de- development. And I think long-term athletic development, I, I feel is a little bit more rewarding for myself. I, I see more change in kids, obviously just not just with PHV, but just in terms of growth and maturation and in terms of physical development over time. than I do in terms of from when I've worked in first teams or 23s, because it's about, in my eyes, it's ticking them over and keeping them on the pitch with these boys with academy. There's a fine line between going over that and under that. And I think if we, if we just ticker on that line and keep them physically developing over time, as long as they don't get injured and just keeping them sort of fit and they'll over time just progressively get better and better physically. And then that only has a knock on effect to their physical performance on the pitch or they're actually like football performance as well. So I think that's, that's my realm. And again, as I said, that's what I deal with on a day-to-day basis and from a private point of view. And that's sort of my niche in a private point of view. My selling point is that I work with youth athletes and that's what I like. If you've seen about our online community and haven't signed up yet, I don't know what you're waiting for because it gives you the opportunity to connect with practitioners right across the world. We've had some amazing conversations on our WhatsApp group about all sorts of different topics when performance questions are coming up. A lot of coaches are diving in and giving their solutions and experiences. So that is one massive benefit to the, the being a member of the community. Another is you get access to all the amazing content on there. There's webinars, there's presentations on all sorts of different topics, some of which we're going to be adding to as well. The most recent is a career periodization webinar by Josh Fletcher. We've also got a number of different partnerships. The most recent is our partnership with edX Pro, which actually gives our members a 12-month um, access to their video CV library. So when you're sending your CVs out to employers or potential employers, it isn't just a written CV, it's actually a video as well, a video of you introducing yourself, showing a bit about your personality, but also showing your practice as well. You can send a video or attach a video of you actually coaching. So a really clever idea from edX Pro and our members get 12 months free on their platform as well. So if you're not already a member of the Football Fitness Federation online community, the good news is you can get 30 days free by going to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there. You'll then get 30 days free access. After your 30 days, you go onto the paid membership, the paid subscription That gives you access to our WhatsApp group and all the content that is going to be coming over the next few weeks as well, including presentations that are recorded from our upcoming networking events, whether you can make it to those events or not. So make sure you go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Robert Rangel. Yeah, it's a really important point to make for coaches because obviously people listening doesn't have to be the same. You're probably not going to be the same for a lot of people but I think the takeaway from what you're talking about is that all these aspects of a of a role or even just your life and how work fits into you fits into your life they have to be considered you've mentioned there about family you've mentioned about moving you've mentioned about the roles that you're doing the players that you're working with it's not just a case of just snatching at random things and I think you're right to contradict myself a little bit there is a time in a in a career where you want to just be busy. You want to pick up as much, oh, much yeah, experience 100%. as you can and just try and fill your day full of coaching and full of things where you feel like you can develop. But then after that, 
like you, you, you're um, referring to now, you have to get to a point where you're like, is this fitting with what I want to do and question that? Yeah, that, that's it. I think I think sometimes as you, you're right in what you're saying in terms of you get to a point in your life where you want to be busy. And I think that was the point in my life, even though I was finishing my master's and doing my, doing my dissertation, it was probably one of my stressful points in my life. I think it was the right time to do it because if I, if I didn't do... If I didn't get the placement opportunities at West Ham and didn't do that and then get exposure to non-league football, National League South, I, I don't think I'd be the practitioner I am today because I wouldn't have got exposed to all them environments. I would have just been doing my masters and just been doing my private business, and it 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 wouldn't it wouldn't have I wouldn't be where I am now without a doubt. So I think doing them and being that busy, I think it was worth it in the long run because I've now got a great work-life balance. I love what I'm doing at work. I love what I'm doing for my own stuff. Um, continuing to grow, et cetera, and still asking questions, still learning. So I think you have to go through a busy period. It's just, and no one knows when. I think it just happened, to be quite honest. Yeah. And it, it also makes you appreciate it when you come out the other side of it and things aren't quite as busy as what they were before. It makes you reflect on the things that you actually want to be focusing in on and, and essentially creating your philosophy or who you want to work with. That's all come come from that time, hasn't it? Where you when you've That's done it. so much. So no, I, yeah, I think it's a great point. Really good point. Um, I wanted to ask as well around the program at Lake Norian with the academy, around where you think some of the biggest successes have been. What are some like additions you've made to the program or changes you've made to the program that you feel like have um created the biggest success? Um, so I've been there since. Mid, like beginning of February um, this year. So I come in at a slightly difficult point in the sense that the boys hadn't had S&C for a while because there was a big transition between me and the old S&C. Um, so I think they'd got a little bit lacklustre with it, to be quite honest. So it was trying to create a little bit more buy-in with them. Um, and then obviously they're, they're undergoing a lot of change with coaching staff just in and out and swapping over. Uh, now and now they're swapping over. So there's been quite a lot of change that it's hard. I think people either embrace change or they neglect it and they don't like it. So the the, the boys for for us, it was more about just trying to create a buy-in with them. Um, so I think that was the, one of the biggest successes this year was creating a buy-in. It was also a difficult time because it's sort of the time where we get the retained release for for the academy and whether they're going to get the first year pro or not. So you've got a handful of boys that are sort of there thinking um like. Do, do they push it? Do they not? Um, so you're working with loads of different options and loads of different eventualities. So I think that was the biggest aspect was creating a, a big buy-in within the within the PDP group in terms of gym and in terms of just routine on a day-to-day basis, just improving that to doing some prep before we go out to train, making a themed warm-up. Can, can we keep like the warm-ups competitive and, and fun so it's not just a drag every day? Um, and they feel like it's the same every day, just varying it up, um, keeping it competitive. And I think that that has created a big bit of a buy-in. Um, so I think that that in itself was probably the biggest success. Um, in terms of the under-18s, again, I think it was improving physical performance via their testing. So just testing results all, all peaked, which was great. Um, and it was, again, that's that me doing my job, but it's like the most rewarding thing in the world when, as I mentioned earlier, like, when I see athletes develop like that over time from February, we tested in March to sort of the back end of when, of when I 
my first month essentially. So we tested them, we tested the end of the season, they've all improved. So that's great. And then that has a knock-on effect to the football performance as well. And that's what coaches start to see. That's what players then start to see. And then you create more buy-in. Um, so I think from the PDP side of things, that's the biggest success. In terms of the academy to YDP, I think it was more about building a framework and a philosophy for the academy to help establish lots sort of fundamentals towards their approach to S&C or sports science to then make them get into that full-time environment. Um, so I think it's just about bridging that gap between the 16s, 15, 16s, 18, because we have a lot of 15, 16s on match days that will play up. But physically, football-wise and technically, they're, they're good. But physically, can they get up to our level? So then they're training two, three times a week at the minute, just pitch side. But then can we get them into a gym environment three, four times a week? So I think bridging that gap has been an, another success in the sense that we've now got off-season programmes for the 16s that haven't had that much gym exposure. We've got an off-season, three-week off-season plan for them to complete. So then they're back into pre-season, hopefully sort of like caught up a little bit. So physically they're, they're nearly on par, which then reduces injury risk, makes the physio a little bit happier, <laughs> makes me a little bit happier, makes coaches a little bit more happier because we've, we've all got a, a bit bigger availability there and a better squad. Um, and squad selection. So, yeah, I think they're the biggest successes this year so far. And just to give a bit of context for people listening, we are recording this in June. So, I realise that we are literally <laughs> sort of four, four, five-ish months into it, into the role. So, I know that it's not going to be, it's not something where you've um, had a real long amount of time with players. And obviously, right now, we're off-season as well. So, yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, I'm sure players are in a number of different, scattered across a number of different beaches across the world. So, um, no, I appreciate you going into that. I think it's really important. Obviously, buying we speak about a lot and the approach that people take in terms of that, whether that's coach buying or player buying or both, is really interesting for how people actually go about it. The competitiveness and the fun side of things, I think, is something that comes across a lot, isn't it? They're trying to create that atmosphere where players essentially just want to come into the gym. They want to be there. Yeah, I think I think that's it in terms of like uh, it's kind of my philosophy and that it is my philosophy really in terms of how how I can coach an athlete or a coachable athlete for for me is someone that I can provide an education to because I think a lot of athletes nowadays they just you tell them to do it and they'll do it and they won't ask why because whether they're too shy or whether they just don't want to know why or and then when they if they were to get released for instance and then be on their own they don't really know what they're doing and why so mm. I think it's about making them a little bit of a better athlete all-rounded and a better person um, but also providing them with an education outside of just what they know which is most of the time just football yeah. so like I, I've created a little bit of an education for an athlete in the sense right this is what we're doing and this is why so for instance day after a day off so I'm usually a Monday because we have Sundays off in prep, we'll do some tendon-based bits with, with the PDP. Uh, and the first thing I say is this is why we do it, because tendons become stiff. They like rest, but they also like low. The low they kind of like is an isometric. An isometric is probably hold 20 to 30 seconds. We can hold weight with it. This is how you progress it. This is how you regress it, etc. And then they, they then start asking me questions, which is what I want. Because before, if I didn't provide that education, they wouldn't have ever asked the question. Yeah. And they'd probably, if, if they're going to do anything, they'd probably moan about doing it. Whereas now, it's the other way around. Now they ask questions because I'm providing a bit of an education. So that's sort of my first step to, to trying to get some buy-in there. And now now you've sort of got their buy-in and attention as to why they do it. 
then I think it's then trying to create an intent or competitiveness within it um, to, again, I think I mentioned warm-ups earlier, like I try and vary warm-ups daily and create a competitive edge there because when they go into the session or into the start of the session of a massive high, even if they've lost, but it goes into a massive high because it's athletes are naturally competitive. They want to win. So if you give them a game to do, they're going to give it their all to do it. So that creates intent as well. And then that over time provides an adaptation. Um, and then the last one I'd say is it's sort of a three-step process in my eyes, education, competitiveness, competitiveness, and then responsibility. So I want to give them a responsibility in their training so they know now they've got the education and they've got the competitive side and intent that they have a responsibility in doing it or not just doing it, but helping each other out to pushing each other to drive intent, whether that's that or giving them a responsibility of setting up the gym, putting down the gym so they have some accountability towards the training and what's in and around the training ground as well. Um, so I think they're the three in terms of creating a buy-in for player. No, I think that's brilliant. I, I personally think as well, I know that it gets bashed a lot of the time, but I think this is where it's a real positive of social media because yeah. players get an insight into how other, and obviously there's a lot of stuff out there, some of which is not worth your attention, but the stuff that is, there's some coaches doing some absolutely brilliant work in terms of highlighting and showcasing what they're doing with players. And I think this is where it's positive because players, like you said, that you're working with, where you're trying to explain the benefits of something, like it is some tendon work, for example, you've suddenly got loads of examples of players doing it and putting putting their effort in, putting the intent into exercises, and then they can understand then why they're doing it. I think it, it's a real positive. Yeah, that's it. I think, I think, as I said, like the education side, I think the biggest part, once you've got the education side in, the competitiveness and responsibility just naturally follow because you're providing the competitive edge. And they're always going to give it their all in that and provide some intent to, again, extensive base days doing races. You're going to get new top speeds doing that. Um, and that's what I've found in this like last five, six months is that I've got new top speeds by, by just providing a little bit of education as to why we do it, then making them race and then go, oh, look, there's a new top speed because they're understanding why they need to go 100% and why they need to push themselves. And then that then provides them with some responsibility and again, just are either asking me questions or helping each other out because then they go, oh, Rob, what about like sprinting every one to 10 days, one, once every seven to 10 days? It's like, well, don't, don't worry, mate. You, you have done that. And then I showed them their stats and go, so then it provides more of an insight to them as an athlete rather than just them as a footballer. Um, so I think, yeah, it makes them all rounded as, as a player, which is what we want. And that's what's becoming it in this day and age as well. Yeah, it's brilliant. And especially with, with youth players, the, the likelihood is that players are going to move on at some point, aren't they? And they're yeah, going to go into it, new yeah. environments. And if they can carry that forward into a new environment, then that gives them the tools that they need to go forward, doesn't it? And they can still ask the questions and all the rest of it, but they're gathering knowledge along the way, which makes them really powerful going forward. Yeah, that's it. I understand coaches work differently to that they might go from a cat two to a cat one or vice versa, but every coach has a, a very similar, you're all going to be doing the same thing in terms of gym and field-based measures. So I think as long as you provide them with that little bit of education as to why they're doing things, then you'd hope that they take that with them in the back of the head thinking, right, I've got to do this, this, this. But then they might ask the other coach questions and then it opens their eyes up to more FNC exposure yeah. uh, and more sort of 
um, avenues down to what you can do, especially like when it comes to a recovery standpoint. Like, I think there's a little bit of confusion there as to what they should do. Yeah, but, so much. But they ask one coach and one coach will say X amount and then they might ask a physio. If they get released and they're going to another club, they might ask a physio and that physio might say something else. But then that's giving them two sets of things that they can use. Yeah. And they might ask another FNC coach who gives them three things. So it, it's, that's just an example, but that, that could be the same could be done with training, really. Um, so that's why I think the education side is so important within the youth section. Yeah, 100%. Rob, I want to move on to our quick five questions to wrap things up. So I always ask, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, so I've, I have got three names. Uh, the first one being uh, Jack Tyler. He's on Instagram's JT Performance. He, he just works solely with combat athletes, but I basically met Jack. He, funny enough, he used to train me. When I was on a scholarship in my undergrad, he used to train me. And I got loads of like, again, I asked all the questions. I sort of engaged with him as to why he was doing certain things with me. And I've taken a lot of that into my own practice now. And he used to work with Performance Heart. So that's how he used to train me. And I used to work alongside him. So I've got a lot of exposure. And he's a good mate now to... Um, I think he just has his own business now. He doesn't work in sport, but I think he's brilliant for any sort of gym-based, field-based training. I think he's a fantastic practitioner. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Ben Mayo, um, I learned so much off of during West Ham, um, my time at West Ham in terms of the field-based measures. And I think for a physiological and sort of anatomical background, he's second to none. I think he's fantastic. And I think I learned a lot of him. And then the other one being Jamie Steedman. Um, he was again when I started at West Ham I, unfortunately I wasn't on the same site as Jamie so the time that I had with him was like small and little but when I did get time with him I picked his brains on a few things and I just again learned a load just in even if it accumulated to an hour I learned loads in that one hour um, so I think they're, they're the three practitioners that have had the sort of biggest influence or I've learned the most off of throughout my career especially Brilliant. And what would you say, I know you might have referenced this a little bit already with some of the stuff we spoke about, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? I think um, providing that education side to the, like, the clarity as to why they're doing the particular bits of training. To, I think I'm good at adapting well in different situations as well. So whether it's lastminute.com and I have to change something last minute and, and set a session um, or actually providing some clarity to players as to why we're doing it. I think I'm, I'm pretty good at them, and, and I think they're my strengths as a practitioner. Um, so I think, yeah, that just that side of it, I think I'm pretty good at, and, and that's what I'd like to consider myself for in terms of going forward into, if it's ever into future roles or even my own business, I like to still provide that that side of things. And we spoke before about you giving advice to other coaches coming through in degrees, but if you were able to speak to yourself, just going for, coming out of university, what would be your top bit of career advice? I know you, I think you said you're only 26, so you're not yeah. talking about your 46 yet. Nothing against 46 year olds, by the way. But. Um, I think it'd be, I think lots of students when they graduate, whether it's from a master's, whether it's from an undergrad, and whether or not it's because they've had no exposure in sport or some exposure in sport, they just lack confidence. But I, but, and that's what I did. Like I, I lacked confidence coming out of uni, and like in terms of from a from an understanding and knowledge point of view, I felt like I lacked confidence. But you've done 
a, well, I did a four-year degree and a two-year master's. I've done six years at uni. The reason why I did that, and I must be pretty all right at it. So like, I think it's just believing in yourself, having confidence in what you're actually doing. You've studied it for a reason. You know what you're doing. Um, so just not second doubt on yourself. I think that's the that's the biggest one from my point of view. And that's what I struggle with personally that I think the most when I first come out. So I think if I had to go back and just say sort of the career advice I'd need to be, just be confident with your approach to why you're influencing something, have a rationale behind it. You know usually why there's a rationale to provide that rationale. Is there a better way of doing it? Is there a worse way of doing it? And then go with it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's the the sort of career advice I give myself, definitely. I think that's a great point. And, and something that a lot of people, I think it's normal for people to step into the first opportunity and, and be doubting themselves. But I think you're right. You've got to look back and think, I've done my, my studying and I've now I've got to pick up experience. But the big thing that you mentioned there, which again, we spoke about before, that rationale and just constantly thinking, if someone's going to ask you why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? That whatever it is, that exercise in the warm up, that exercise in the gym, that session out on the pitch. As long as you've got an answer to that, it doesn't necessarily have to be bang on right. As long as you've got an answer and a rationale, I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? And backing yourself with it. Yeah, that, that's it. I think, I think from a university point of view, I think it'd be good, especially like somewhere like Hearts, and I was lucky enough to do it from a master as well, where they could provide like even if it's just a week, a two week like placement or like sort of internship where you can get exposure to the real world because I understand that university they try and not everyone's injured so you can't work with injured athletes and you can't work with just athletes so you have to work with a whole realm of people but I think if if you get exposure the earlier you get exposure in my eyes the more you can make cutthroat decisions that you need to do in this industry um to then and provide a rationale as to why they might need something so you get you, I feel like I learned so much at university, but I learned twice as much as I feel on placement. It's yeah. making me go into my final year a little bit more confident of what I was doing and providing a rationale as to why I should do things. So I think, as I say, that the rationale side of things is, is massive. And as long as you provide that, is there a way you can do it better? If so, how can you make that better with relevant equipment or in your situation? Is there a way that makes it worse? Just try and avoid that. Okay, we'll stick to it or we can go and progress it. It's the, the ultimate Dunning-Kruger effect, isn't it, coming out of university and getting that first role where you think you That's it, yeah. know it all and then suddenly you get hit with the realities. <laughs> that um, is it, yeah. Rob, we'll, we'll wrap stuff up with our final one, which is um, around CPD. So what's your approach to CPD now, continually progressing as a practitioner? How do you approach that? I've realised these are meant to be quick-fire questions. So no, no, it's fine. That's been that quick, so I apologise. But... Um... I think in terms of CPD, personally, well, what we do at the club now is we we try and send between me and the first team SNC Jack, we try and we try and send each other a, a, a literature review or some some sort of article once a week. Um, we usually do it on a Friday, but through the off season, it's been a bit difficult. But trying to do it so then we're exposed to sort of two different articles a week. In that sense, we're going to try and do that more as a department within the next season. Um, so that's one way I look at it but then I think you can only learn so much by reading to podcasts like this like Sportsmith I listen to quite a bit in terms of what different practitioners and their their views essentially on terms of what they they provide and I, I listened to the Jonas Dodi one which is excellent in terms of the, the sprinting side of things and how you can then take that and apply it to your own practice um, and then just from 
I think as a CBD from my point of view is like books. Uh, I don't, when I have the time to read, I'll, I'll do it a lot. And I think it's, it's more to do with the books more to do with like routine and sort of lifestyle. So, um, and that will help shape my career, I guess. Uh, um, will it make the boat go faster? I've, I've read, and I think that was an excellent book. And I think that again, it wasn't really to do with like career as such and like the industry, but, for me, it was to do with like again buy-in and things like that, and how it can then influence your career and maybe sometimes your work. So I think books like that I love to read, and um, and as I say, I feel like I can learn a lot from them. Brilliant, mate! That was quality. Thank you very much for coming on. Where oh, would you, you direct people if they've got questions, they want to ask about anything we spoke about, or just generally catch up? Where would you direct people? Uh, so I've got my LinkedIn, which is just Robert Rangel. Um, so that's a way of reaching me. Uh, my Instagram is just a business one. So by all means, I mentioned my Instagram earlier on. So by all means, um, or I mentioned my business earlier on. So by all means, try and catch me on there. Um, I'm quite slow at replying on there. Sometimes I'm not on there all the time. I try and take a break from it. Uh, and then the other one is just an email. So my email, I'm giving my work email, which is r.rangel, R-A-N-G-E-L at leightonorient.com so that's my work email if anyone's got any questions in regards to periodization for their career or just if they're uh, again if they're students coming out of their career and they, they want to ask questions and by all means just that fire it over it's fine brilliant well robert thanks a lot for your time mate stay in touch no thank you very much for having me ben cheers Thanks to Robert for coming on the podcast. I appreciate him giving up his time in the off-season. I know he's um, stuck in a load of admin at the moment, so I appreciate him freeing up a bit of time. In terms of takeaways on this one, the first of which I think is, especially if you're younger in your career, I don't necessarily mean in, in chronological age, I just mean in careers, then take opportunities. Obviously, he spoke about opportunities at a number of different clubs. And yes, they might build up and make your schedule quite busy, but he's obviously been through that and taken a lot of experiences away from that time. So that's one thing I'd say straight away, create opportunities and take those opportunities when they do come. Um, He said about making notes from those times as well, and I think that's a really good point. Having like a bit of a diary and maybe just some takeaways from each day, maybe some things you tried that went well, that didn't go so well. I think that's a really good point and something that you'll love to reflect on in a few years time when you're stuck in, um, I don't mean stuck in a bad way, but when you're stuck into a, a, a role, a full-time role possibly, you'll be able to reflect on those um, and see some of the early experiences that you had as well. He spoke about the last minute changes in football, definitely something that I know catches a lot of people out. Um, things do change. You need to be adaptable. It's a skill that coaches bring up all the time on the podcast, the skill of being able to adapt. So I think that's really important. And then he spoke about his three areas in terms of players being coachable and where you can support players. The education, creating competitiveness, and creating responsibility for players as well. And I think spending your time focusing on those three areas really does give your players a toolbox that if they then leave the club, they go on to different clubs or work under different coaches. They, they've got a really good level of understanding around the, the work that they're going to be doing to enhance their performance. And then just the final thing is he touched on around confidence. Coaches having confidence. I think it's a really important thing. And I know it's hard, especially earlier out, earlier on in careers, to have the confidence because you need to gather some more experience. But like he said, 
sort of going in. You don't have to do anything too complex, too complicated. Having your why, having your reason behind it, that you should be confident in that. People are then going to challenge you, which is completely fine. That's going to improve you as a coach. But have some confidence, back yourself. And then if people do ask a question, you should have an answer to it. Um, not in a way that you know it all, but just in a way that you're confident behind you've made that choice and you've got to that decision. So I think some really important um, points raised by Robert in this one. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you give it a share. Like I said, anyone that's earlier on in their coaching career, I think it's a really important episode to share with them. Any interns, give it a share. I really would appreciate it. Also, make sure you go and check out our sponsors. Go and give them a follow on socials. Rezzle, Hytro and The Good Prep doing some brilliant work. So make sure you go and check them out. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 244.